I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Chris Getz spent seven years in the major leagues playing for the White Sox, Royals, and Blue Jays. After retiring at age 30, Getz rejoined the Royals a year later as a baseball operations assistant in player development, beginning the next phase of his career. A year later, Getz went back to another of his former teams, becoming the White Sox director of player development, a title he still holds today. I had a chance to sit down with Getz at the White Sox Spring Facility in Glendale, Arizona, before camps shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. We discussed his transition to the front office in Kansas City, the evolution of player development over the past 15 years, the White Sox rebuilding effort, and much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with White Sox Director of Player Development, Chris Getz. But first, a word from our presenting sponsor. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Chris, you grew up in the Detroit area. Were the Tigers your favorite team as a kid? They were. They were naturally. I think, well, you know, Gross Point was the, the area that I grew up in. It was about 15 minutes from old Tiger Stadium. So definitely have some, some great memories going down there. And then they transitioned over to, to Comerica Park. But, uh, you know, a baseball family that definitely uh, embraced the Tigers. So they were, they were my team. Was baseball always your, your favorite sport? It was. I, you know, I, I would credit my parents. They, they exposed me to a lot of different sports. I mean, I was playing everything as a, as a kid. And even in a, high school, you played football and golf, is that yeah, right? Yeah, and, and, and you go even younger. I was, you know, I was playing tennis and hockey, um, you know, and over time, you know, I think baseball became my, my best sport. Um, certainly passion, uh, you know, was behind that. And, um, you know, and then your focus becomes that and you're getting the attention of, of colleges and uh, professional teams. And all of a sudden you're just, you're just doing baseball, but um, you know, baseball, you know, became my primary and certainly uh, it was nice growing up in Detroit and having, having the Tigers not too far to watch. The White Sox drafted you in the sixth round, 2002. You chose to attend Wake Forest, ultimately transferred to Michigan. Uh, did you consider turning pro out of high school? I did. I did. I, and, uh, I did the area code games with the White Sox. So I was able to, to get to know a lot of the, the scouts within the organization. As a high school player now, you know, going back and thinking about that, that time period, you know, although we were a quote-unquote baseball family, um, we didn't have a lot of exposure to professional baseball. Not a lot of people in my area um, were signing contracts uh, as high schoolers or even college players and working their way through and playing in the major leagues. So it almost seemed kind of like an unrealistic uh, path. Um, 
maybe not a wise path, um, and at least at the time. So um, it was a little bit overwhelming, and um, that's what it kind of led us to, to kind of doing the college route. But it was under consideration, um, you know, and, and, but I think I chose the right path. Three years later, the White Sox draft you again, uh, this time in the fourth round after you had gone to Michigan. Were you surprised the same team selected you? Had you stayed in touch with people from that team? Did you have a sense that, that they were still interested in you? I was a little bit surprised. I, I know, you know, being a sixth rounder, the expectation is that you're going to sign, you're going to be, be signing. Uh, I think, uh, you know, whether it be the area scout or the scouting director, you know, when they recommend that you take someone in the sixth round, you want that person to sign. Um, so, you know, when I decided not to, um, although they were very professional about it, I know that they were disappointed. Um, and so, yeah, you, you fast forward three years and. I did hear that they were still interested in it, mainly because I was still in the same area. Um, Ann Arbor was 45, is 45 minutes from, from, from Gross Point, so it was the same scouts. Um, and, you know, they, they, they were going to our games, we had conversations, and they said that they, they were going to push for me again. So, um, and, and I'm happy they did. You played in the Cape Cod League 2003 and 2004. A lot of big time prospects play in that league. And a lot of them talk about it as some of the best, you know, months of their lives. What was that experience like for you? Uh, I really enjoyed it uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you, I've got a lot of friends that I that I met out there, lifetime friends. Um, and then I've got a host mom and a, um, her son that I, I mean, they were at my wedding. I keep in touch with. Um, they they hosted a lot of future major league players. So that was, it's, a, it's kind of a, a cool story there, but, um, you know, my, I went there after my freshman year at college and I will say that, um, you know, that was really challenging. I was, I was facing guys that were going to be drafted in the first round the following year. And you're, you know, I just finished my freshman year, certainly at Wake Forest, which was a good school. It was good competition, but I was still a Michigan kid. Things were like moving quickly and I, and I struggled, but it was a really good thing for me to struggle. Um, made some proper adjustments, did transfer to Michigan uh, and carry that out. But that following summer, went back to the Cape Cod League with much more confidence, um, had a better summer, and then I feel like that set me up for, for a junior season and then eventually drafted again. 2008, you're selected to the Futures game. That's become a really even a bigger deal now than maybe it's ever been. People pay more attention to it. What was that experience like for you? I'd say it was the closest thing to uh, a major league debut, and I say that in hindsight. You know, just the adrenaline rush playing in a major league park, uh, media, uh, fans. It was in, it was uh, at Old Yankee Stadium, yeah. and that was the last year. Just playing there was a pretty surreal experience. Um, so that was uh, so just that feeling, that experience. I feel like even helped a little bit when I got called up later that summer, uh, just dealing with what naturally comes with getting called up to the big leagues, which has just raised everything. Um, so it was a lot of fun. You mentioned that a month later you get called up. What do you remember about getting that news and, and your first game and just that whole introduction to the big leagues? Yeah, I was in uh, Pawtucket. Um, actually, you know what? We were playing the Red Sox AAA club, uh, Pawtucket. That day we, uh, we were playing – a game at Fenway um, and we were uh, you know we were busing back to Pawtucket and, and I remember distinctly it 
Joe McEwing, who was our hitting coach at the time, is now our bench coach here. I texted him. I, I was scuffling a little bit, and uh, I sent him a text. And, and I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I, I sent him a text to ask if I could get a day off the following day, which was not something that I did. I just uh, we had that type of relationship, and I felt like I maybe need a little bit of a breather. And so we finally get back to to, to Pawtucket. I get called into the office. And uh, Mark Bombard, the manager, Joe McEwen was in there, and um, you know the, they start just screaming at me. They 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 were lighting me up for that text that I that I uh, that I sent asking for a day off. The audacity that I would have to, to for me to dictate my playing time, just go, uh, you know, going at me a little bit. And then I and then I sent something uh, sent something that uh, perhaps they weren't that upset with me. Um, and uh, they said that, um, you know, I hope you don't need a day off because you're, go- you're going to the big leagues. Um, so that, that, that was a, just an unbelievable moment. You know, the, you, put through so, you, you put in so much throughout your life. And uh, when you set your goal to, 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 to get to the big leagues, be a major league player and it all, you know, you know you're being told that. It's a very emotional moment. And it was, it was special, too, because Joe Mack, Joe McEwen and I are still very close. And to have him in that room, and you know, we're still friends. We're working together now. Uh, that that was cool. The White Sox traded you to the Royals in 2009. Your first taste of that part of the game. What's it like as a player to be traded? You know that that was interesting. So it was the day after the World Series, um, and also, you know, it was after essentially my rookie season. And it was to a, you know a division rival, so it was. I didn't really know what to make of it. Um, certainly, I was I was disappointed because I all I knew was the White Sox. Um, and but I you know eventually get to the point where well you have discussions with the Royals, um, in which there were some really good ones right out of, uh, right out of the gate. Well, they, you know obviously they they uh, they wanted me. Um, but yeah, you, you feel like you're just being kind of booted out the door, um, and, and you you can kind of dive deep, and and you start wondering why would they want to trade me? This you know what what did I do? I felt like I did okay. I, I, it wasn't a great rookie season, but it was fine. It was still fairly productive. Um, but anyway, you're, you're uh, being told that you're heading to Kansas City, and yeah, my 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 heart sunk a little bit. Um, but then you know you start focusing on on the following season, but. Um, once I got over to Kansas City, that first spring training around new teammates, uh, the staff, I uh, really enjoyed it and um, continued to go from there. But to be traded, I think, is, is really difficult. But even it's even a little bit more difficult, I think, after, when you're, when you're uh, that young in your major league career. Right. You played four seasons with the Royals, opened 2014 with the Blue Jays. Uh, that May, they DFA'd you and you decided to retire. You're 30 years old at the time. How... how is it tough to make that decision? Is, is, is at what point in your mind do you just say I'm done? You know, uh, so that off season, I, I was not tendered by by the Royals, and um, you know, you're you're, you're you're a free agent for the first time, and you know, going through that process, I, I certainly didn't love it. There wasn't a lot of attention to be quite. I just move, it was moving slowly. Um, I knew that. It, there was a small chance it was going to be a major league deal that I was going to get, um, and but I was having trouble to even get um, minor league offers. Eventually, they started coming in, um, 
but that was kind of a, a bit of an awakening. Um, and I had just finished, uh, I had just gotten my degree from Michigan, finished school. Um, my, my wife was pregnant with our first, with, with Luke. Um, my mind started kind of going, um, started thinking about some other things. All right, you know, I'm not getting a lot of attention. How's this whole thing gonna play out? I just finished school. Um, is it, am I nearing the end? And, you know, I, I signed with the Blue Jays and certainly committed everything uh, in preparation for spring training. I had actually a pretty good spring training, didn't make the club. Um, went down to uh, Buffalo, went down to AAA. And I hadn't been down to, to AAA. Now, granted, I was down there briefly with Kansas City in 2013, but 14, you know, you did, that was the first time I hadn't broke, broke with the club in a long time. Um, down in AAA, back in the International League, which I, I was in that league with, with the White Sox, but now back there with a different club, I felt like I was going the wrong direction. You know, it was, it was, it was an odd feeling, and I was struggling with it. My, my, my wife, um, you, know, I, you know, quite candidly, I, I think I, going to the park each day, uh, I had a tough time with it. And I think she was certainly annoyed of hearing me uh, complain uh, and eventually I, I just got over it. I go, okay, let's, let's, let's go at this uh, the way that I've always gone about this in terms of preparation, mindset, the whole thing, and, and see where this plays out. And if that means that, you know, come a certain point in the year where we're down here and this no longer is a thing we want to do, then so be it. But let's, let's, let's go at this the right way. So I, try to, so I certainly altered my mindset and got some things together, started being more productive, and then an opportunity came and I got uh, recalled. Um, or I got called purchased to, to, to join the Toronto Blue Jays, go up there. And, you know, I actually, we, it was interesting because we played the, the Royals. Um, it was in Kansas City. So that, that was a lot of fun. She had some pretty good games. Um, and then we went on the road. Um, and I was coming in off the bench, didn't play for a little bit, um, and then got some starts when we, we got back to Toronto. And I was scuffling. Um, I, I just I wasn't putting together good at bats, and um, before you know it, they they, they made a change and uh, got DFA'd, um, which was the first time that ever happened as well. Now you get um, you get that news, you know, you kind of digest that, and um, we're in Toronto, you know, just bought a house back in in Gross Point, Detroit, which is only three hours from there. You get a couple days before reporting. Um, we had all this stuff, was with my wife. We drove back um, and, you know, on that drive back, you know, we we're just talking through kind of different scenarios on uh, on what to do. And you get back home. I remember it was a beautiful, beautiful summer day in Gross Point. And, you know, in my heart, I just felt like, you know what, um, I think it's time. And was it a difficult decision? It actually wasn't. And I think I... There was some buildup to it. Now I do, I do want to say, like I, I, I was always going to take pride when I made this decision that I definitely wasn't going to look back. Um, but also, I wasn't going to make it a big deal. You know, people, uh, you know, change jobs, you know, career paths, all those types of things, and that's kind of how I viewed it. And um, and that was it. And uh, that those couple months. Uh, you know, the next couple of months in Gross Point, that summer, uh, we had our son. I was around my parents, my wife's parents, my brother. I really enjoyed that summer. And um, so, 
you know, that kind of helped kind of set this uh, kind of post-playing career. And then the, some teams started calling, Royals being one of them, and, you know, kind of started the next chapter. Did you think right away when you retired, you were going to take some time, but did you know in your head, I want to stay involved in this game, whether it's as a coach, a scout, front office, in some capacity, I have to figure out what I want to do, but I know I'm not done with baseball, even if I'm done playing. I didn't know. I really didn't. Um, I, you know, towards the end of, well, I look, you know, towards my end of my career, um, and even while I was playing, I was always interested in what was going on kind of behind the scenes. Um, you know, whether it be on the scouting side, the development side, front office, um, you know, the inner workings, you know, how organizations come to decisions, all these types of things, um, the business side. I, um, you know, and I had some conversations, I remember, with Dayton Moore, um, you know, towards the end of my last year, 2013, with him. And, um you know, different roles, asking them, you know, what does this guy do? What does this guy do? Um, what do you do? Um, and, and, uh, Gee, I must love that player. Yeah, what do yeah, you do? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so in the back of my mind, it was always, well, when my playing days co- come to an end, perhaps I would like to do something like this. Granted, when I had those conversations, I didn't, you know, certainly with Dayton, I didn't know that that was going to happen that quickly. Right. Um, but, you know, so but but when I, so when I when I stopped playing and I was you know back home, um, I didn't know initially that I was going to end up back at baseball. Now I'm sure others did, and I kind of was like, well, let's see what else is out there, right? And I did look at look at other uh, other industries, um, but as I kind of worked through it, and I you know watching watching baseball kind of that summer and, and watching the Royals, the Royals had a really good run. Um, I started feeling it a little bit and, and, and felt the pull um, to, to, to get back in. And, and, and through that summer, um, organizations were reaching out to see kind of what my, um, my, what my next step was going to be. So, um, and, I, and I'm happy that uh, I chose going to the Royals because I kind of walked right into not only, I mean, they, they, they lost game seven of the World Series in, in 14 and then 15, they, they finally won. To, so to experience that was, was special because, you know, I had played there and I, um, you know, although I wasn't part of, you know, on field winning a World Series, I, I also saw the, the growth um, and the progression of their cosmos of the world, Mike Moustakis, Jordano Ventura, Lorenzo Cain. I, I saw it all kind of come together, saw it come together, that progress. And then experience a World Series, although not in a uniform, uh, it was still very rewarding. What when you say you you looked into some other industries and some other possibilities? What what kind of things were you looking at? Gosh, I you know being from Detroit Automotive is is sure. you know, right in front of you. Um, you know, looked into uh, you know some media routes as well. Um, looked into you know sales positions. Um, I looked into perhaps even going back to school, um, but at the end of the day, landed landed back in Kansas City, back in baseball, and I'm glad I did that. So Dayton brings you in as a baseball ops assistant and player development late in the 2014 season. Um, when you take that job, are you approaching that as, okay, I'm starting a front office career now, or was it, let me see if I like this and let me see what this is about, and then I'll sort of figure out if this is a... a road that I want to pursue? You know, I think, uh, I think it was, a, both sides were kind of approaching it like, okay, let's, 
I think Dayton, what Dayton had in mind was let's expose him to everything, but also let's see if he likes this. And me personally, I would say yes. Let, let, let me find out if this is something that I want to do. But also, I know when I typically, you know, commit to something, I'm going to go at it. Uh, I'm going to approach this thing with everything that I have. Um, and so, you know, I was fortunate that, that that Dayton did expose me to all areas of the front office uh, in, in our workings, whether it be on the player development side, the amateur side, the pro side, uh, the major league team. You know, I, I, I was exposed to a lot. And then over time, it kind of evolved where, you know, you kind of find your niche and where you fit. Um, but um, that was... That was a that was a really good experience. But going in, I didn't know what to expect, um, and and then over time, you just start growing and and, and kind of go from there. But um, yeah, I was I was very fortunate for that opportunity. I don't know how much players pay attention to front offices around the game unless they're a free agent and they're dealing with that aspect. You mentioned your last year in Kansas City. You were you were asking, "What does this guy do? What does this guy do? What do you do?" Etc. Were there any executives around the game? even if you didn't know them personally, that you kind of looked at and admired the way they, they operated or, or ideas they had or things they were doing with their clubs? Well, you, you certainly, naturally, you look at the successful teams and why, why certain teams were, were doing better than others. Um, and not to name names, but you, you, you just, okay, why, why is this team always contending um, why, at the top of their division? Why are they always in the playoffs making good runs? So, so I think... Um, you know, I, I would I dove into things that way. Now, you know, being in the organizations that I had played in, you know, the, you build relationships with with whether it be on field staff, certainly even front offices, and you know, you, you, you come to admire how they they operate and how they communicate and what they care about. Um, and I think through those the, through all of those experiences, there there certainly develops you or at least helps you. Um, you know, helps you kind of, uh, okay, this is how I want to go about it. If I ever got that opportunity, um, you know, I like this part of this organization. Maybe I didn't like that much, that part of the organization, um, and, and, and use those experiences to kind of form how, you know, I, I could go help an organization. Let's put it that way. You spend two plus years with the Royals as a baseball ops assistant working in player development. And then the White Sox hire you as director of player development. Did you, feel that you were ready for that type of a jump to be running a farm system? Uh, you know, it's funny to say that because I, I think, um, you know, when it comes to you know, director of player development, I remember when I was going through the process here with the White Sox. For one, it was, you know, as we talked about earlier, I had a lot of relationships here already. You know, Buddy Bell was in position, Rick Hahn, Kenny. Um, you know, I got to know those the, those guys as I was coming up. And when I, when I was... Um, when I was done playing, you know, I considered coming here as well. Um, now, you know, you, I guess you fast forward the, those two and a half, two and a half years when they come calling. But talking, I did talk to Dayton throughout this whole thing. Okay, what 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 do you think about this? What do you do? You think I'm ready for this role? Um, but the the farm director position is. Yeah, it's 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 a challenging one. You know, there there obviously you look at all the the amount of players and the staff, um, and having an understanding of the amateur and international process, what's expected at the major league level to have success. Um, it takes time. Now, I came in here with, you know, Buddy Bell um, in a role where he was still going to have he, he still had a, a uh, 
um, a lot of influence and in player development, a lot of guidance and leadership, in which that was very helpful for that transition. If I would have come in perhaps without him, I, I think I, I probably would have struggled um, more than I did. Um, and then, you know, over time, I, you know, you just make some adjustments along the way. But, um, you know, I think I, but I, I did come in with confidence. I felt like because of the, the experiences that I had, not only as a player, but also over in Kansas City, that, that I was ready to step in. It wasn't going to be smooth and, and just, you know, push button, but uh, I feel confident I was, in, in, I was ready to, to lead a department. When you first take over this new role with the White Sox, uh, the farm system was ranked in the bottom third of the league. I don't know how much you guys in front offices pay attention or care about rankings because you have different opinions on guys and, and you may think your players are better than you know MLB Pipeline may think. That aside, how much of a challenge is it to come in and essentially have to try to rebuild a farm system from where it is to get to that next level? It's very challenging, and and you know right right when I came in in that fall is when you know the organization was transitioning into uh, you know a different phase, and you know we made those trades, we acquired a lot of younger talent, um, we were then drafting higher in in the uh, higher in the first round, so we were accumulating the, these players, and, and and certainly those players need to continue to develop. Um, and, and you know play well and you certainly want to create the culture and, and do all the things you need to do for those guys to, to do that but before you know yeah you're accumulating all these players talented players but that was because we also um, we made those moves and you know certainly got to credit Rick and uh, Kenny in, in acquiring that and then you know we continue to develop these players and, and, and now we're we're uh, we're in spring training this year, and a lot of these players were the guys that we traded for or we drafted, and they're becoming uh, you know better. They're becoming quality major league players, or they're knocking on the door. You met six weeks after you take over. You guys trade Chris Sale to the Red Sox. You get back four players, including Moncada and Kopech. The next day, Adam Eaton gets traded. You bring back Giolito and Lopez and Dunning. A few months later, Quintana gets traded, and all of a sudden, you've got Cesar Jimenez. Fans covering the team or fans watching the team and, and people, you know, sort of in the moment of that season probably weren't that thrilled. As farm director, though, when you see this influx of unbelievable talent come in, how exciting is that for you? Oh, I was excited. <laughs> I was excited. Um, you know, to, to have the opportunity to, to, you know, perhaps help these guys and guide, help these guys. Um, you know, become major league players and guide them. I mean, that's 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 what you ask for, right? And to, to be able to do it with with players with with such potential, it's a, such a unique opportunity. Uh, and it was happening as well; it happened right away. So that made work uh, much more enjoyable. Um, certainly, you could you could argue even more challenging, um, but a challenge that I that I was you know certainly woke up every day looking forward to take on. When you think back to uh, when you first got drafted and you first turned pro and started playing minor league ball, you were you have a unique perspective of being a player development director who was once a player in player development being developed. How has player development in general changed the most from the time when you first turned pro to what you do now? 
Well, it was unique here too because I, I played at most of these affiliates. So I, those just those, you know, I spent time in a brief time in in, in Great Falls and Kannapolis and. I was in Birmingham and Charlotte and in Chicago. So those steps along the way, I could re- really relate to the players um, because I knew that they were going where they're going to be living and know the facilities and those types of things. Um, but now how, how things have changed. Wow, it's it's changed dramatically. Um, but I, you could say that just in the last two years, let alone you're going to you know take it back to my playing days. So you look at the the you know the types of teachers, the technology. Um, but also how players have changed. You know, just the generation that we're dealing with now is much different than, than the type of player that uh, was coming in at, at, uh, at the time that I was. So, um, you know, there, there's just advances in so many different ways. Now, ultimately, players need to – what won't change is you need to find players. The makeup of the player is going to drive all of this. Um, certainly, we can put the leadership leaders in the right position and the teachers and provide as much as we can, but the makeup of the player is, is, is so important. And then that desire to get the most out of their ability um, on a daily basis will allow them to, 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 to become, whether they're big leaguers or they're not. I've had other player development executives on this podcast who have told me that one of the hardest parts of their job is dealing with young players who are either going through struggles or facing some sort of adversity they've never faced before and just trying to keep them positive. Mm-hmm. How tough is that? I mean, you, you've been in the position, again, you, you're in that rare position of having been a young player at one point in your old life, and I'm sure you dealt with that as a player from the other side, but how tough is it? To, to try to keep a player looking ahead and not focusing on what they're going through right now? You know, it's, it's difficult, but you know what? That's, that's probably the biggest part of this job. And then, and so, you know, as a director of player development, okay, how do I tackle that? How, how do we go about that? And there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but it starts with the people, right? Um, you know, when you're going through the hiring process, you could be the smartest guy, you know, smartest guy in the room. But what, what drives that individual? Is it self-interest? Do I sense self-interest? If that's the case, I'm probably going to have a tough time hiring that person. Who's not going to be the right person to have those conversations because I just don't know what that person has um, going in his mind. So um, it starts with the people. The people drive this. And um, if you get quality human beings that are pitching coaches and hitting coaches and coordinators, um, they're the ones that are going to be able to effectively communicate those players through those tough times. Um, you know, and certainly just wellness in general. I think, uh, you know, you've got sports psychologists, you've got mental skills. Um, but ultimately, I want our coaches to, to be able to have those conversations. Um, and, and that's just continuing to educate our coaches to, 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 to be able to connect properly to the players. So um, there's a continuing ed portion to that as well. But um, I think, you know, I had a conversation with a player yesterday. It was a high school player that's, you know, essentially facing uh, baseball struggles for the first time, but they're away from home. Just these are human beings and and continuing to encourage him. Um, you know, some of his peers are they're in college um, and, and perhaps he's sensing that, um, you know, he, he didn't make the right decision. You, and, you, and you, you know, you want to continue to, to create a, a place where, uh, there's optimism, and then we just need to keep them on track. Um, and you know, but that's that's just part of this job, and I would say it's the most important part of this job. Do you study or examine player development programs in other sports, and 
how certain things may relate to baseball. Is there a sport that you think uh, is the most similar to baseball in terms of player development? You know, you probably probably have to go to the, the soccer world. Uh, to be honest with you, I think the you know NFL is much different, NBA is much different, hockey. Um, you know, there's some similarities, but I, I can't say that we can mirror too much. Just the you know when you not necessarily MLS, but you, some of the Europe, European teams um, and you know how they grow, they have these academies and how they grow their players. Um, I think there are some things that you can take out of there. Certainly, it's set up differently, but. Um, but in terms of that, that pyramid and the development, um, some of the techniques that they, they, they apply in their world, I think is, is probably the closest to, um, to ours. Um, and it's really interesting. And, and I like doing that. Um, and, you know, there's some things that sometimes throughout the year that you, whether you're reading something or you go to a, to a seminar and you, you have conversations with, um, you know, people and leaders from, from, you know, European soccer leagues or just other leagues or even other other industries um, and try to try to grab some things that you feel like, you know, can apply to what we do. But um, if, if I had to point anywhere, I'd, I'd point in the soccer direction. How does your experience of having played in the big leagues uh, help you most in your job now? I think I, I me personally, when I when I talk to a player, I think emotionally I can I can get to the level uh, where they're at. I feel like there's a, whether it be a little bit more empathetic uh, with situations. Um, I think that's I would say that's probably it, um, and, and certainly that, that helps on the coaching talking to coaches as well. But we've got a lot of coaches that have major league experience as well. Um, but you know, being that I played in a couple different organizations is helpful. Um, and not only the minor league level, but the, the major league level, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think, you know, you'd have to ask the players and I, their, their view, view of whether they, they would want their leader to have major league experience or not. My, my guess is they don't really care. They just want right. to find someone that can provide them the information and they, the, the, they care about the individual more than major league experience. Um, but I, I think, I think it, it if I had to say number one thing, it would probably be just the fact that I can emotionally um, have some conversations um, with them that just because I, I went through it. When you look at front office rosters around the league, there aren't that many former players on them. Why do you think either players have decided not to pursue front office careers or in turn front offices have gotten away from hiring former players? Gosh, that's a difficult one. And, and I think... Um, I think front office has just gone away from hiring um, former players. And that, that's, you know, I, I haven't looked at all the rosters and who's being – you follow, you know, the best you can, but, I, you know, their, their hiring process I can't really speak to. I think, um, I think that, you know, the makeup of the front office is just so much different than it was, you know, two years ago, five years ago, certainly 10 years, 10 years ago and 15 years ago. Um, you know, analytics uh, is certainly a big. Uh, it, there's stronger. Uh, there's there's more emphasis in analytics than ever before, um, and I think that you're, you know, that 
the backgrounds are now just different. I mean, the, the education of playing used to be weighted a certain certain amount where I think other things are being weighted differently. Now, I think players can do themselves a disservice by not being open-minded and continue to educate and grow and not just lean on their own experience. I think that, so there's kind of, uh, I think players are at fault a little bit. Um, so now for me, if I can find players that do have that growth mindset, continuing to want to educate and grow and, and teach, but just know what's going on, um, you know, within our game, but outside our game, uh, those are the guys that I, the, that I'm attracted to. Cause just because I think that the, you can't, the, those guys that didn't have the playing experience, we can't replicate that. We just can't. Um, and I think that's still very powerful. So, um, and there are some players out there that, that, that are, that are going about it the right way. Um, and, guys that will continue to go about it the right way. So I think that there could be a bit of a, um, I think front offices could be reshaped a little bit differently here in the near future, Um, but I guess we'll see. You mentioned the importance of analytics in the game now. How much do you educate players at the lower levels of your system about analytics? Because obviously, you know, AAA and when you're getting to the big leagues, you're, you're getting a lot of information thrown at you. Do you start that early so that once that does start to happen, it's not an overwhelming process? You know, it's involved in everything. Um, you know, it's kind of it's just a kind of a buzzword. Um, I think, you know, it's more certainly on the development side, just technology, right? We've got all these different tools that we use now to, um, you know, maximize or perhaps expedite um, player development. So in terms of exposure, it's 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 happening immediately. Now, in terms of some, some of the statistics that, that maybe uh, that are going to be used to, to evaluate some players, we do, we, you know, just going through topics here in spring training um, to meet with both players and staff, I mean, the, there, are, that are, there are some of the, uh, we're going to have some meetings that are just focused on, um, you know, certain terms and statistics that, that that they're going to uh, be exposed to in their career. I, I feel like we can't um, start early enough because the, the earlier we get educated, I think, um, you know, you hate for guys to misinterpret certain certain statistics and perhaps start altering um, how they go about things. So uh, to nip that in the bud is, is certainly what we try to do. You mentioned as a farm director, there's, I think you guys have seven affiliates, AAA all the way down to rookie leagues. Part of your job is to maintain relationships with all the affiliates and keep tabs on all your players. That's that's 200 players or so and seven teams in different places. How do you do that? How is the, I mean, I'm sure you don't do it all by yourself because that would be impossible, but how much of a challenge is it to to keep tabs on everything going on in the system when there are so many players? Well, technology has been helpful, for right. one, right? Um, you can watch most of these games on a nightly basis. Um you know, so uh, but I have to rely on rely on people, right? I, I've uh, I, I've got some 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 people here that I just really trust. I trust their evaluation ability, their judgment, um, their communication ability. So they're they're kind of my eyes and ears um, throughout the season, and it's just important for me to communicate with those people. But, um, you know, we've got you know coordinators or assistants that are constantly going to affiliates and meeting with staff and players um you know whether it be conference calls or or 
you know, we've got certain applications to kind of keep us all together all the time. Um, you know, just keeping everyone connected is, is, is something that I, uh, that I take pride in. It is not easy to do. I'm always trying to find ways to be more efficient at it, but the better we're communicating, the better we're doing at our job, I feel. Um, and then me personally, uh, I'm on the road a fair amount. Um, certainly when the season starts, you know, I, I couldn't tell you exactly the amount of days, but just those touch points, going to the affiliates, um, spending time with the players and staff, getting a pulse of what's going on at the ground level. We're fortunate because three of those teams are in North Carolina. We've got, you know, we've got Charlotte, we've got Winston-Salem and Kannapolis. They're all, you know, within an hour and a half of each other. So that's beneficial for, for not only myself, but, but coordinators as well. We're, we're able to get places more often to really know what's going on. But, um, you know, a lot of these games are televised now. That's, that's, that's very helpful. Um, and then there's just different checkpoints um, that, that, that we have and evaluate along the way that, that has allowed us to, to really know what's going on on a daily basis. But, um, but you also need to, to, to be careful. I don't need to know everything. That's, we have to, this is baseball. We need to let things play out a little bit before um, you know, we start jumping in and uh, maybe moving too quickly on, on some things. You said that player development's biggest job is to teach guys how to play the game properly and give them a strong understanding of who they are as players. I would assume that's an individualized process. Every guy needs something different. Uh, but are there one or two sort of key things that you stress to all your players before you start dealing with individualized? You know, people talk about our philosophy or, or the playing the game the right way. What are the things that you stress to players, you personally or you as a as a department, to sort of get them on the track you think they should be on? Well, I mean, just the fundamentals of the game. Um, and I, they're probably a little different from, from each organization. I know what, the, what ours are about, obviously. Uh, being here and what Ricky Renteria is about, Rea, Ricky Renteria is about um, and carrying out what uh, he believes in. Um, but, but in terms of really reaching the player, it really does come down to customization. Um, everyone's mind, body do different things. We need to understand how all of those things work to get the most out of them. And if they know that we're approaching it that way, that's what they, they take more ownership. We have a better chance of getting it right. You've also said that you like it when the players are part of the program. Mm -hmm. When they, when they, I think your quote was, there's more buy-in and a better commitment when they're a part of it. How crucial is that buy-in from the players to take what you give them and be fully on board? It's everything. It really is, because I, I, like I said earlier, the players are driving this. You know, they if they if they don't have that commitment on a daily basis to come in and, and um, give us their best, then we're probably not going to get there. We're not going to get the, the the best out of them. So, and and, I, and I, I'm just a strong believer that they need to be part of. Uh, you know, they need to be part of the, the plan, these personal plans, these customized plans. And we sit down and we talk it through. It's not like this is what you're going to do. Um, certainly there are times where you have to do that, but you need to give them the why. But I love listening to them. I love, well, you know, I, I, I like this, but I don't like that. Um, I'm really struggling with this and this is why. Well, those conversations have to happen uh, for us, perhaps even adjust our plan for them. We know the, the you know, we have a pretty good idea of the player that we, we, we think they're going to be if it all comes together, um, but we're not going to get there without the buy-in. There's just, there's, just no there's just no way to get there. What's your favorite part of your job? 
my favorite part of the job still is getting guys to the big leagues. You know, I, I and that probably goes back to my playing days. I just know what that means to the player, what that means to the family. Um, now, I certainly want them to stay there and have successful careers and, and be part of our championship clubs in the future. Um, but, you know, these young players that you get them and they're, you know, some are greener than others. And just to, to, to slowly watch their progress and then finally get that phone call and make their debut. There, there's just nothing better. What's your least favorite part of your job? Uh, releasing players. Releasing the opposite. Players. Yeah, releasing <laughs> players. Um, now, I, I, I will say that I, um, you know, and this isn't always the case, but I've never sat in a meeting uh, where I'm going to let a player know that, uh, you know, they're getting released that I've told them they're not major league players. It's just that we don't have the opportunity here. Uh, now, there are some, you know, also some cases where, you know, and I'll, t- I'll express this to them where, you know, I think it's time to start doing something different. You're at this point in your life, you know, uh, obviously I'll, I'll, I'll have uh, um, understand their background a little bit more. But um, that, you know, it's, it's time to close the door on baseball. And I do recommend doing something differently. And, you know, I guess that gives me I don't know, solace. Uh, in, and I feel like I'm helping them. Uh, I would say that's that's rarer than the, the than the other the other one, but there um, that is you know part of part of this as well. But in those cases, you can probably use your own experiences to relay some of that, right? I mean, it may resonate more from somebody who retired at thirty than somebody who either never played or had a full lengthy blossoming career that you know they played until they were thirty eight, forty years old, and they're saying, "Well, you're not me," you know. I mean, I guess. Perhaps. What you went through, yeah, it, might, yeah. it might resonate a we, little we've more. Had, I've had some really, really good conversations, um, albeit, you know, it's a, it's a release conversation. But just talking about baseball, career, life. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that just the, the, the playing career has allowed me to, to dive into it a little bit deeper than maybe some others. Do you have broader aspirations for your, your career? Any interest in ultimately becoming a GM or anything like that? I like to lead. I do. And, and you know, the, the, the director of player development, the, the, the farm director position, you know, allows you to lead. Um, now, the, there's a lot going on um, on a daily basis, like we've discussed, and it challenges you, um, but it develops you. I never want to stop being a better leader. Um, and I think that if that opportunity did come, which obviously is not my decision, but if an organization asked me to do that, I, w- I would certainly uh, embrace it and, and be excited about it. But, but with that being said, um, it's not the ultimate goal. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I am in this to, to, to help the White Sox, but also find ways to just to, to do it better, right? Uh, not only for us, but do it better than other organizations. So if that leads me down that path, so be it. But it is not an ultimate goal. Um, if it happens, it happens. But I like I like working with with good people. Um, doesn't have to be similar approaches, similar mindsets. I like to think that they you're, that you hope that, that that they're not selfish or self interested self interest people. That um, I don't enjoy working with those types. But if we can get a, a good core of people, I don't care what position uh, that I'm in. You talked before about when you were with the Royals, you got front row seat to see the development uh, of guys like Hosmer and Moustakas, Sal Perez, etc. 
who ultimately became the core of a World Series championship team. When you look at some of the talent that you guys have brought in and who are now matriculating through the system, some of them are already in the big leagues, guys like Jimenez, Robert, um, you know, Cease, etc. Do you allow yourself to dream about this could be that core for us that I saw I saw it happen in Kansas City and I see the same type of thing potentially happening here with this group of guys. Yes. I, I um, you know, I see very similar things. I see similar things happening here. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, we, we have our core group there. A lot of these guys are now um, got a couple of years under their belt at the major league level. We'll certainly uh, supplement it with some other guys here. We've added some some quality pieces, and, and don't get me wrong, things really need to come together. But I do see a lot of similar similar uh, similar things here, and a lot of it is just these players realizing that they're that they're they're major league players, that they're quality major league players, and then they start working together and start accomplishing things that perhaps they never even thought that they could. And that is my favorite thing of sports, really. That really, I mean, it's it's, um, you know, we can sit here and say, well, this team's going to win X amount of games, and this is going to, you know, this team should probably do this, um, you know, perhaps going even beyond those types of predictions. And I think you do that when when uh, teams really come together, and and I sense that happening here. I really do, um, and that's that's what happened in Kansas City, no doubt. And unlike a big league coaching staff, when you're in player development, you watch these guys. I mean, you said getting a guy to the majors is your favorite thing in the job. You probably have a you know thoughts run through your head when that happens, or if you guys were to ultimately win a championship, of the journey each one of these guys took to get there. So, you know, a major league coach or manager maybe saw them for a year in big league camp the year before, but they don't necessarily have the full appreciation of the journey. You probably see these guys get into the big leagues and the potential they have. And I don't want to say it means more to you, but you just have maybe a deeper appreciation of what, of what they've gone through to get there. Yeah. I've never really thought of it that way, but it is, it's a unique perspective. Yeah. You, 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 you experience the kind of the journey with them um, where, yeah, certain kind of, parts of an organization they're 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 just going to have that one window um and and you know looking back to you know once again kansas city and you know the jj piccolos of the world and certainly dayton but jj and scott sharp there they had such big parts of um you know the the minor league progress of a lot of those guys and then being around those guys when they won the championship and how special it was for them yeah i think it maybe it was even more special than 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 others uh at that time but um yeah it would be uh it would be absolutely you know awesome if if things came together when it was with guys that we've had around here for a while chris really appreciate the time enjoyed it a lot yeah so did i thanks for having me many thanks to chris getz for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of executive access in our next episode i'll be joined by red's vice president and assistant general manager sam grossman We'll discuss his decision to veer from a career as an actuary to life in a baseball front office, his experience as a one-man analytics department in Cincinnati, the Reds' front office continuity, and much more. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Art19, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life 
about executive access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinzan. Stay safe, everybody.